Today we're starting a new series called Relevant Relationships. Every church does a series on relationships in January and February of every year. So I thought, how do, you know, I always got to be creative. How do I do this so it's not like too isolated to just certain types of relationships? Because every relationship matters when you think about it. Every relationship and anything you do matters. If you don't know how to form good relationships, you will struggle in life to be successful in anything. Because relationships are everything. Your joy comes from community. That's why we tell people, come to church, don't just watch online. Because you need community. You are designed to be in community. You were designed to be in God's house with people because you were meant to have relationships with people. You guys with me? It's so quiet. I think you're just sternly focused because this is so mesmerizing. I love it. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk the next four weeks about four words. Each word is a principle. And we can't cover it all, but we're going we're gonna to go through four weeks and talk about relationships in a way that maybe is different to you all. I hope it comes across different than what you heard before, and that will improve your life, not only with the Lord, but with people. I, I mean, everybody has relationship issues in life. That's part of the deal. If there was no adversity in relationships, there'd be no growth. Me and my wife, we've been, we've been married for 13 years, in, 13 years in May. I almost got yelled at. Yeah, 2007, May 26th, 2007. Give it up, guys. She put up with me for 13 years. Come on. Isn't that crazy? She should have divorced me a long time ago. But the Instagram pictures or Facebook has not really been reflective of our relationship together. There's a lot of things not everybody needs to know. You know there's a lot of things God doesn't need you to share with everybody in your relationship. That's what makes it special. When you air the laundry in front of everybody, you just lost the specialness of what you had with that person. There's, that's what they call intimacy. It's not a sexual thing. It's a personal thing. When you're intimate with somebody, it's personal. And it was made between the two of you and no one else. There's a trust there. So throughout our relationship, in any relationship I've had, but marriage, anything, having kids, there's always ups and downs. There's good days. There's bad days. And it takes work. I always remember a Will Smith quote, which is not very often. Except he did have, like, the greatest rap song in the 80s. Um, parents just don't understand. And uh, who remembers his other big hit from that time period? Come on, somebody. One person. Nightmare on my street. No, he, his was Nightmare on my street. And he was ripping off Freddy Krueger. But he was talking about Freddy Krueger coming up on his street, in the, you know, in the hood. It was awesome. Anyway, it was awesome. Why did I say that? Oh, so Will Smith, he said, if you give yourself a plan B in relationships, you'll take it. We have a rule in my house. When we said I do, it's forever. Whether I feel it on some days or I don't on another, it doesn't matter because feelings come and go. But my commitment is forever. And I'm not saying there's not circumstances around some of that. But that's the intention. God said, for the hardness of their hearts, we do. There's, there's some things that take place. But it was not my will that it be any different. It's my will for you to be in the best interest for your health and your relationships that it be forever. Till death do us part. And Michelle can ask you, I'm a jealous guy, so I still got a problem even after I'm gone. I'm like, you you going to find somebody else? <laughs> I got issues. I'm outgrowing them now that I'm 41. What makes a relationship relevant? 
it's more than just interaction. It's definitely more than just physical between you and someone else. But essentially, in a healthy relationship, it's a bond. A bond is formed, which keeps you engaged with that person through good times, through bad times, through the struggles, and through the victories. When you form a bond with somebody, there's something there. There's substance. And that's the heart of a new relationship is a bond. And all relationships are based on a foundation of key principles. And though we can't cover every aspect of a healthy relationship in this series, because we only got four weeks, that's two hours of speaking, we want to examine the type of relationships that God desires for us to have and how we can improve our existing relationships in these four key categories over the next four weeks. So my question to you this morning is if the quality of your current relationships and future, future ones, was the, if, the, if the quality of it was the difference between your happiness and you just staying complacent, would you invest to make changes for the better to those you care about? Who wants to make them better? Everybody, right? But would you actually do it and invest time? It's work, 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 baby. You got to work at stuff if you want to make it better. Sometimes in a worship practice, they go, man, that pastor, he's like, he's kind of serious. It's because it's serious to me. And I love y'all, but I know, I know y'all have some potential. So part of my job is to see it, pull it out. And so we fine tune. We're always trying to make it better. This, this past weekend, we got some billboards, and they're awesome. And how many have seen the billboards? All right, I'm counting dollars. One person, one person. I'm doing a, I'm doing a calculation. No, I'm kidding. I'm a programmer by day. It's weird, I know. Pastor on the weekend, programmer by day. It's a weird combo. So I met the guy who leased us the billboards. He wanted to meet. He says, I have something from you. And Jeff, if you're watching, thank you. His name is Jeff also. I'm not talking like Bob Dole in the third person. Jeff, Jeff brings me a photo, he gives me a framed photo of one of the billboards. And it was really cool because it was much better than the one I took. It was actually a blue sky day, or he photoshopped it. And mine was a gray sky day, and it was in a frame, and it said, you know, DDI Media, and, you know, it's basically like, a, you know, it's a good relations thing. But it was a thought that counts. And what was really cool about meeting Jeff is not that, is that he started telling me about his journey with God out of nowhere. I didn't ask him. He just started sharing these, these different situations in his life where he said, God confirmed in that moment this. And there was another time. And he just starts telling me. And I'm like, Michelle, he just started telling me this stuff. It was, it was kind of interesting at first because I didn't know that's why we were there. And so, but God brought us together for another reason. Because he said, now my mission in life, this is what he said. He said, my mission in life is anytime I go in a room and there's people, especially when I'm not in conversation, I see them just kind of wandering. You know, he says, I do everything I can to engage them and to bring them in. Because I want them to feel value. Value. He says, I want to add value to them. And he didn't know that today's message is called value. He didn't know about this series, that point one today is value. See, value will cause a price to be paid. Value will cause a price to be paid. When you invest in something, it's two-way. It's because it has some kind of value to you. And not only does it have value to you, but when you invest in it, you're raising the value of it. Does that make sense? So if you treat people like a bank account, when you pour into people, it's because you value them and you're raising their value in life. 
You're raising their value of understanding. You're pouring into them because guess what? Somebody did it to you. We call that pay it, pay it forward. In the Bible, we call it discipling. We call it do unto others if you have them do unto you. When you've done it to the king, you've done it to the least of me, my, my, my brethren. So when Jesus gave us love and valued us, we feel called to value them. I'm going to get to my passage. The first passage is Matthew chapter 14. This won't make any sense to you. That's why I picked it. I thought of Peter. When I thought of relationships, I thought of Peter, that Christ had this value for Peter. Y'all know how many times Peter screwed up? A lot. He did some things that Christ didn't like. So we go to this passage, Matthew 14, verse 27 through 32, it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he's standing on the, on the water, by the way. How many have heard this passage? I mean, it's kind of like infamous, right? We know that Jesus was on the water and Peter walked and he doubted and he started to sink and then he cried. But I'm going to give you some different meat out of this today. He said, Lord, if it, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. How many doubt God after God says, it's good? He said, come. But we know what happens next. We say, God, are you answering my prayers? He said, I did. And then you start running back to Google for answers. He said, come. He, tell, he told some of y'all this morning to come. And so he's answering your prayer. But now if it doesn't feel right and there's a little struggle, you're going back to Google looking for an answer when Jesus said, come out of the boat. So it says, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, verse 30, Peter, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. I mean, it's kind of funny, right? He's right there. You know, when you're close to your mommy, you don't feel scared. But if she's, if she's distant, you, you want your mommy. Every, every young boy, even in his adulthood, still misses his mommy at some stages in his life because they remember that closeness, that bond. Even if it doesn't show, it's still there. And so that's how Christ was to the apostles. He was like their father figure on earth. And so by him being just a few feet away, he feared even after Christ said, come, I value you. So immediately, so he started to sink and he said, Lord, save me. Verse 31, he immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've talked about this passage probably more than any other in this two-year ministry. Oh, Peter, why did you doubt? I said, come out onto the water. You asked, I said, come, and now you're doubting me again. Oh, you of little faith. It's a faith thing. Touch your neighbor, tell them, it's a faith thing. And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, of course. After they got in the boat, the wind stopped, and Peter's like, I had that. One no thing, Jesus. Then why are you crying like a baby when I had you out on the water when I was testing your faith? It's easy to be faithful when you're not on the water. It's easy to preach faithfulness when you're not on the water. When you're in the nice big boat with the bathroom thing, they got the bathroom and they got the, they got the nice barbecue spread. Clint, I'm going to say it's like a, a catamaran, like in Maui or something. Not that I would know. And it's like they got the thing and it's, it's comfortable until you see a whale pop their head out of the water and they say, get in there and snorkel. And you say, what are you, crazy? That was me. I mean, it's hypothetical. 
Even dolphins. I don't like them. When we went swimming with dolphins, I digress, for entertainment value. Little kids are like, oh, say cheese with the dolphin. They're like, the dolphin's about eight feet long. And I, God knows how many pounds. It looked like a small elephant. And so then it's, it's, it's PJ and, and Michelle. And Michelle's like, I've always wanted to do this. And we're smiling. They're like, smiling. I'm like, it's over. I'm like, I was stiff as a board because what I'm thinking is that dolphin, it's just one whip of the tail and I'm toast. I'm toast. So that's what happens when we get on the water. Our faith is tested. Faith becomes a little real. My faith maybe isn't what I thought it was. It's easy to preach good when things are good. It's hard to preach it to somebody else when you're going through it for real because now you got to back it up. you got to back that thing up. Talking Bible, guys. Come on. <laughs> but it's investment. In all the moments with Jesus had with Peter, he could have said, sorry, dude, too many flaws. Jesus saw the potential in Peter. Peter wasn't ready to go to the day of Pentecost when he met Peter. He couldn't even fish right. He was just catching some fish. Maybe that's all he could do. He wasn't ready, but Jesus said, I got plans for you. Drop your nets. Drop your poles. I'm going to make you fish something else because you're good at fishing, so I'm going to take what you're good at, but I'm going to use it for my glory in something else. See, God will take what you're good at that you use to fish for your own, own selfish gain, which is just a human nature. It's not a criticism, but he'll turn it around, and he'll use your gifts to fish for him. And when you fish for him, you start catching some different things. Never caught a fish like that. I never had the red snapper. That's good. That's so much better than the catfish at the lake of the Ozarks. I never had the red snapper. But when I gave my life to God, I started catching some snapper. I started catching some, some souls and putting them in heaven. And life started changing. And I started getting fed because the fish were bigger. The blessings were bigger. But it took, me, it took me trying to, you know, I had to change. But God invested in me. And God wants to invest in you. And God invested in Peter. And he still messed up. But people who value you will invest in you. They'll invest in you. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter... He fell asleep in the garden the, the night Jesus got cap, capti, um, captured. I can't talk. He uh, denied Christ three times for the cockcrow. He, uh, he, he got rebuked. Jesus rebuked the devil out of him because he didn't want Christ to go to the cross because he was thinking fleshly, and he actually thought he was doing a good thing. And Jesus says, stand behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So you can be doing a good thing, that, and you think, and you can actually be hurting yourself. Well, I just think being a good person and finding just good to everybody. But sometimes you need to love somebody and tell them the truth instead of patting them on the back when they're damaging their life. Tough love, they call it. We call it graceful love. We call it real love. It doesn't mean you got to beat people up. It means you got to be authentic, and people who value you will invest authentically in you to make you better. That's what they will do. If they're trying to gain something out of that, that's the devil's game. They're trying to get something out of you. They got a plot. If there's a strategy behind what they're doing, if there's a self-gain, that's not, that's not the love of Christ. It's unconditional. When you do it with no gain in mind, that's when you're going to see a blessing you've never seen because you weren't looking for it. And that's how we are to be as disciples. And that's what people do when they value somebody. They invest in them, and it's wholehearted, and it builds value. And he saw something in Peter just like he sees something in you. In you. And you, and you, and you, and all of you, he sees something in you. Because Jesus values you so much, 
He went to the cross. He was willing to die for you. I don't know about y'all, and I love y'all, but that's some deep value right there. That's an investment I think I'd struggle to make. I'd be like, well, what about my kids? If I die for them, my kids won't have a dad. And what about paying the bills? And I start getting all carnal and material and practical and, and cultural. But Jesus said, it doesn't matter because I came here to die for you. Because I value you that much. Value causes a price to be paid. Even the ultimate price on the cross. Value won't establish itself. It takes work. Christ worked with Peter, mentored Peter, poured into Peter. It takes work. Touch your neighbor tell him it takes work. If it was fun, everybody would do it. Remember, anything with value, guess what? It takes work because if it had no value, there'd be a surplus. Who took economics in here? Come on, somebody. If it didn't have value, there'd be a surplus. If, if it was a surplus and everybody had it, it wouldn't be worth nothing. That's what produces value. It's because it's unique. It's poured into uniquely. When you take away the value of something, the price goes down. When everybody has it, it's not worth nothing. It's supply and demand in your spiritual life. Never thought I'd go there, but I'd flunked that class the first time. I ended up loving it, but I got a new teacher, a new school. It helped. <laughs> Thank you, Maryville. No thanks. D minus, whatever, lady. I'm not bitter. She acted like you had to come to class to pass. And I said, just give me the grade. I paid for the class. Why do I have to be there? It was my fault. But it won't establish itself. When you leave here today going, how do I add value to my life? It's, it's conscious. It's proactive. I want to better my life. I want to better those around me. It takes work, and I'm willing to work because when I value something, it's passion. There'll be passion. And it's unconditional. And when it's an unconditional value you invest in someone else, that raises the value of the relationship. When you're only using them to get something, can't say everything in here. When you're only with them to get something, you're going to come up devalued. You're devaluing them, and you're devaluing you. But when you love them, and you value them in a way that has nothing to do with what you're going to get, both your value goes up. Both the stakes go up. The, 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 the validity of the relationship and the core, the nucleus of that relationship, the bond strengthens and goes up because it's unconditional and true. Now, I'm, I'm not saying just do anything the other person wants. We believe in saying no when it compromises our moral and self-dignity. But when, it, when it's not going to hurt us, our job as spouses, as friends, his family, co-worker, is to constantly seek to help put value in those around us. Like the guy I met for coffee. That's his whole mission. That applies to your marriage. That applies to your job. That applies to your church. That applies to everything. The greatest thing I believe that people find in this church when they come in is that people value them. That's our mission. I can't stand when somebody says, I went to church and no one I went to church with 500 people. I went to church with 1,000 people, and no one stopped to say hi in or out. 
they never even saw me. That's crazy to me because the church is the community that you came to be with. And if you're not in community, you're out of community. So, yeah, some people will run in. They're not totally there yet, and I get it. It takes time. But the people that know the truth and know what value it adds to invest in those people, they will go after them like eagles after, after you know, some grub on the ground because they know what kind of value people need. And when they get the value, they'll see their own stake raise, and those people will leave there going, wow. Something's different. Something's not really different. Something's just the way it's supposed to be is really what's happening. It's just the will of God that we love people that way. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to love people and show them you care. To put value in them sometimes is just to listen. But investments take time to grow. And if you're investing into somebody to reap something personally, you're not really contributing value. You're using them. When you do it and you get blessed by it, that's different. You weren't looking for it. That's when the biggest blessings come. I wasn't looking for my wife at 24-hour fitness at 6.30 in the evening on a weeknight when I met her, and she became my wife of 13 years and four children later, and we have such a blessed life. That was not what I was looking for at 24-hour fitness on Clayton Road in 2005, September 24th, 2005. Yeah, I do remember that one. The first date was three days later. You know, you had, to, you had to play, you know, you couldn't call too soon. It's this stupid rule. I got to wait three days to call. Even though I wanted to call immediately. I was afraid you wouldn't want me if I didn't play the culture's game. Because the culture has taught us to play this game with people's hearts. But when you find the right person, the games go out the window. Because they just want you for you. They value you. They don't value your talents. They don't value how much money you make. Does it help? Absolutely. Does it help provide stability? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if you took away everything, they want you. They value you. And that's the way it was meant to be. In good times and in bad times, so death do us part. When there's money in the bank, when there isn't. When you're living in your mommy's basement and when you're not. When you can't afford to take trips and you take nice trips. When no matter what life throws at you, babies or no babies. Babies don't come. Now we got four. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter because love transcends all those artificial boundaries. Value transcends that. Real value. So we'll invest in each other till the day we die. And it's cool when you see that in your relationships. It takes patience. Value takes patience. How many are like really patient people in here? Do we have any? I'm not. Anybody that's like, like, yeah, I'm so patient. Is there anybody? No hands. Wow. Don't cross us on a bad day in traffic. <laughs> We've got the love of the Lord. What you looking at me like that? What do you mean you said hi to me? What do you mean by that? Press that elevator button. We were saying it doesn't work. Close the door. They're coming. That was me. <laughs> but we're talking about Peter. If we go to when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was supposed to watch, because Jesus was about to get captured, Matthew 26, verse 40 through 41, it says, Then he came to the disciples, Jesus, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, again, What? Jesus said it like that. He said, What? Could you not watch me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation, for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, your flesh is carnal, it's weak. And in order to stand up to the enemy, you got to have the spirit, the spirit of God. Come on, somebody. 
I'm preaching here. I think it's okay. It's okay we talk about the Spirit of God because the, the Spirit is the leading God. You know all truth. If you don't have the Spirit, you are fighting an enemy that will overcome you. It matters. I mean, I like to have a good time up here and everything, but I got to tell you the truth too. It matters. This is life or death. And so Jesus was telling them, your flesh is weak. You couldn't even stay awake. I got you Starbucks, and you still didn't stay awake. Come on, Peter. Get it together. You, trust, you don't trust me on the boat. I say, get in the water. You say, okay, Lord, whatever you need, I'll do it. And then I get on, and you get on the water, and it's a little windy outside, and you cry like a little girl. And I say, come on, son. I yank you back in the boat, and now here you are, falling asleep, and I'm so mad because I love you so much. I know what you're going to do, and you don't even know it yet. I know the hair's on your head, and you don't even know what I'm going to do for you in the future if you stick with me. God knows your potential before you do. God knows what you're going to do before you do. And he's not pulling the strings and make you do it. But he will let you get there if you follow him. Drop your nets and follow me. But it takes patience. And I would think on the day where he's going to get captured, Jesus was probably getting pretty upset because he just said, stay awake. I mean, you don't have to jog. You don't have to do laps. You don't have to do anything but sit there and stay awake. And they couldn't even do that. And I'm sure he's going, man, what do I got to do? These people, they won't, they're not getting it. But he remembers the mission. See, he was born of the spirit, not of man. So he had a little insight because he was God in the flesh. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak, Peter. So there Peter goes again, and it tests your patience. I'm sure Jesus was tested a lot many more times than the, than the scripture let on. But anybody you're investing in, it takes patience. Sometimes you just think, man, there's no hope. I just don't know about them. I just don't know. I mean, I tried three times. I tried four times. I gave them this. I gave them that. But when you love somebody and you value somebody, sometimes they're never going to get to the bar you expect, but they've got some kind of bar that God has set for them. And so your job is to not qualify them whether it's enough. Your job is to just keep pouring into them because you value them as a child of the Lord. And so when you feel impatient and you feel like yelling or throwing something, or, or I don't know, I was never that kind, but, you know, some of you might like to throw something when you're mad. I don't know what you all do. I just, I don't know, I probably eat junk food or something, a comfort food eat or whatever. But when you feel that lack of patience, remember, it's not about you. It's not about what you feel. This is the calling of Christ. It doesn't always feel good. You can be patient because God's ultimately controlling what's happening. You're, you're, he, he's, catalyst, he's being a catalyst for you to take steps, and as you take steps, he's given the increase. And so as long as you know God has touched this and that it's the will of God that you pour into people and value them and love them as Christ loved you, you can let him carry the weight because it's his weight to carry. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll carry it. You Pharisees don't have to carry it no more. They didn't get it. They were too, one of them pressed how much they could lift. Those Pharisees, one of the flash how much they can lift. Jesus said, it's not about how much you can lift because I'm lifting it anyway, and you don't even know it. You don't have to be impatient. I used to, um, patience builds value is what I'm trying to say. I used to get emails. So some of y'all don't know that I am a computer programmer by the day. I have a small software business. I've had it for years and years and years before ministry. And in and, and that business, it's very cut and dry robotic. It's on or off. It's, it's very, people, people, there's no emotion in it. It's so much the extreme opposite of ministry. It's, it's, it's funny how things worked out.
because this is, this is the real me. But in that world, I got to be, you know, the robot. And so, so I'd get these emails, and if something's not wrong, your instinct is to fire back. Fire back. Because a lot of times you get very egotistical people. You get very condescending. Hey, it sounds, like, it sounds like religion, too. You get, you, get some very, you get some very sharp people telling you what you should know and that you did this wrong. And the instinct is to always fire back. And I used to just fire back because you know what was firing back was my emotion, not my heart, not my, my wisdom, not my thoughts. And so what I did is I got more patient. And over time, I learned more about people and thought it's not even them. They don't even know what they're saying. They're just trying to promote themselves up the ladder. So I would always wait to respond. Tell your neighbor, tell them, wait to respond. Wait to respond. If there's anything good you get out of today, you can walk out here and say, I'm going to wait 10 minutes before I write back on that email. Because when you settle down and get patient, you can sleep clearly. When you're an emotional wreck, you cannot focus. You cannot be patient and emotional at the same time. They're counter, counterproductive. So the best thing you can do when you're seeking God's mission on your life, when you're seeking church, you're seeking um, to help your neighbor to better somebody, is to always remain patient and remember their best intent. That even when they fail you, they're still worth investing in because Jesus died for you. That there's nothing they can do that will cause them to lose value in the sight of God. No matter how worthless you think they are, it doesn't matter because nothing they can do will lose value in the sight of God because he's still their child just like you are. So that will produce patience because you'll remember your own journey and remember how you got here. And so patience causes you to focus. And in a relationship, especially marriage, the closer you are to somebody, the better you know them, the easier it is to trip their patience. Y'all know what a GFI switch is? You know, when the, the trips and the little lights on. Spouses know how to trip that thing and turn that light on if they want to. But growth causes people not to intentionally trip the other. Growth teaches you my job to help them is to value them anyway. My job is to love them in a way that maybe they didn't love me, but I'm going to still love them in the way I can within my abilities. Now, if they just don't want me around, I can't force myself. But if I'm together and I'm committed, and as long as I love you and I took an oath with you, I will value you and try to make you better by loving you. They won't try to trip you. Though, when you get tired and you quit fasting like you should and you, and you eat too many chickpeas, Chickpea everything. You know they got chickpea spaghetti? It's crazy. Mess your stomach up. Don't eat three pounds in four days. It will test your patience. And so who are you going to go after when you're not feeling good? Those closest to you. Well, I'll just give them a jab. Tell them they're no good because that will make me feel a little better about not get, getting jack-in-the-box or whatever that's being plotted on day 22. I don't know. But, but the, as you grow in wisdom... In maturity, in your relationship, that stuff really does get better, guys. I mean, if it can get better for me and my wife, it can get better for any of y'all. We used to, man, we used to, we used to push each other's buttons in the early days. And if you weren't having a good day, you knew how to just wreck the other person. Wreck them. For like 48 hours. It was like a 48-hour recourse. You could just say the one thing that you know trips the other person. That is not what we're supposed to do by valuing people. That's the flesh. The spirit is strong, but the flesh is indeed weak and tempted to go back to selfish ways. Well, they're not giving me what I want. But value will cause a price 
paid. Patience says, I'm listening to you first, and I'm hearing you too. Oh, how many know what it's like to be talking to someone? You know they're not listening. They're waiting to respond. Y'all got that feeling? I saw a good video the other day. They said, just because you put your phone down, face down on the table, doesn't mean it's more considerate. <laughs> I do that. I'm like, well, I'll put it downward. People won't think I'm attached to my phone. They said it's still rude. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm still rude. Okay. So, so I, I have to stop that. But the, the best thing you can do, I learned this early on with pastoring, is I thought you had to provide a solution to everything, but sometimes the solution is this. They're really asking you to listen. They're not really asking you for a solution because if they wanted the solution, they say, how can you help me? In marriage, that doesn't happen. What they're really saying is, I want you to listen. When your friend's crying out and depressed and you don't know what's wrong with them, they won't tell you. It's because they really need people. They want you to listen because sometimes listening is the best supply you can give to somebody to heal their wounds. Patience causes you to slow down, make eye contact, and listen to what you're saying. And in this culture, it's not easy to do. Everybody's, everything's fast, 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 fast. So it takes work. Remember, it takes work. We have to invest. We have to say, I'm going to do it differently. Okay, I'm not going to be on my phone all night when my kids want to play Junior Monopoly, even though it kind of works my brain over and I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it because I value them, and I don't want them to remember their dad being stuck on his phone every time they ask them to play their whole adolescent life. So I'm working on it to do it different. It takes work. It takes work to break habits. They're habits. The jabs to your spouse, those are habits, and they're breakable. Anything is breakable. Any habit can be replaced with a good habit. And patience helps you see people for who they really are and not depend on your emotions. Patience says, I'm listening first. I'm hearing what you're saying before I reply. And sometimes we just need to listen. Patience will help you see value always, even when you're mad. Blessed is the peacemaker, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Even when you're mad, patience will calm you and remember truth. Anger, I won't say who. Somebody told me, I thought this was so good. They keep a Bible in their car because when they get angry in the car, they check the Bible. And, and God says, hello. I thought, man, I wish I'd done that 20 years ago. I could have saved so many gray hairs. That was good. What it does is it creates patience, and it creates focus, because when you're patient, you're focused. When you're focused, you're on the truth. You remember what matters. You're not caught up in the emotion of the situation, which is the, the devil's game. He just loved nothing more for you to cut that person off in traffic. He'd love nothing more than you to go tell them what they should hear, because they deserve it. If we all got what we deserved, he who's without sin throws the first stone. It's not how it works, and it is work. And it takes patience to be that way. It takes constant work and pruning of your garden to become the child of God he designed you to be. Because we're human. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The last point on value I want to talk about today is probably the biggest one. It's probably the weakest one I can see culturally that people adhere to. Commitment. Commitment creates value. Derek in here? I see a, I see a pale arm up in the, in the top. I think that's Derek. 
It's the lights. I'm sure you got a nice tan going. Derek is my friend. I'm going I'm to tell this story, Derek. Is that all right? You don't have, to, you don't have a choice, but I'm going to tell it. I've known Derek for 14 years this year. Derek plays drums. How many like the drums? That's Derek. Guess what? Derek is a computer programmer also. How funny is that? Derek actually was in the programming field before I even knew anything about it. That's how long we go back. And I met Derek because I was putting a band together for some show, we call them showcases, where you go, you go do a show for like a record label. And so I was in St. Louis, I used to live in Nashville, and I was putting together some shows for showcase, so there's no money. Well, Derek was a gigging musician who got paid. I said, well, brother, you can get paid with some blessings. You help me out. Stick with me. But I don't got no money. And sometimes I don't even get the free pizza because we didn't sell enough tickets, Nate. They don't give you the free pizza if you don't sell enough of those dang tickets. Took away my pizza, too. So there was no money. So I met Derek, and, and Derek auditioned for the band. And so Derek was in the band. And then, and then the day of one of our first gigs, it was like Cicero's or, or the High Point. Anybody remember the High Point? Um, no Doubt played there, like, right before we did. We played there the last week, and they were open. I mean, it was a dump, but it was notoriously famous. St. Louis. It was, it was horrible. But we played there. And so one of the gigs, Derek says he can't remember this. I do. Like two hours before. Hey, man, I got, I got another gig I got to take. I got another gig I got to take. What, you're going to bail on me? You're going to bail on Jesus? Two hours before the gig? I said, okay, all right then. So guess what I did? Found a new drummer. Found Stuart. Stuart, wherever you are, bless your heart, he's good. Played in the pocket really good. Nice piccolo snare, Derek. Good R&B snare head. Par uh, so Stuart comes over, and he's going to audition. This is when I lived in. He's going to audition in the audition hall. I mean, my parents' basement in my room when I was 26. He's going to audition. And so <laughs> Derek... And Michelle happened to be there that day. And Derek is, okay, Derek's playing the drums. I mean, uh, Stuart's like, I'm like, okay, let me hear you play this kind of groove. And he's like, you know, he's doing his thing. And, and all of a sudden, the door opens. And guess who it is? It's Derek. And I'm thinking, nobody invited you here. Why are you here? You've been axed in the name of Jesus. So Michelle's like, oh, he came to the door, so I let him in. So Derek comes in the room. It's a small room. It's like this. Here's Stuart. Who's that guy? Derek's got like his, his carry-on five-piece in a, in a bag. He carried like a, like a lost cowboy drummer. He carried this thing in a bag on his back. And he shows up, and he's like, who's that? I'm like, that's Stuart. He's playing drums for us. Get, keep in mind, I didn't really know Derek this well at this time, just a few weeks. And so he's like, okay. And he's just kind of, <laughs> anybody knows Derek, he's just staring at Stuart. Stuart's trying to do his drum audition. And Stuart's just like, what's going on here? And Derek's just like, oh, you might, you could do this. And hey, your timing here. And Derek's a serious pro. So if he wants to ruin you on your drums, he could. He just chooses not to often. And so he decided to really embellish this. And, and I was kind of mad at first. Like, why are you here? But y'all don't know. Derek showed up. Derek saw value and what I was doing, and I immediately saw value in him. And he has been committed ever since. Derek has played in anything 
church I've ever done since, in and out of church, Derek has always been there because Derek shows up. Commitment shows up. And what he was doing in that moment is saying, I value you. I value this effort, even though there's no money. I value what you're doing here, and I want to be a part of that. And I'm not joking. Even with the ponytail, Derek, I still loved you. Y'all wouldn't even know he was him back then. It looked so different. He's been there ever since. He's been committed. Commitment shows up. Commitment doesn't talk about it. It shows up through thick and thin. Derek, man, I can't tell, and this was not really to be about you, but now that I'm talking about you, Derek would call me two years later. I hadn't rang him no, no time. Hey, Jeff, I'm just seeing how you're doing. I was a bad friend. He always called. I never catch it. We play voicemail. Another year go by, he called. For years, he was always showing up to make sure our relationship stayed together. And here he is, part of this move of God we're doing today. So I'm so thankful for you, Derek, and thank you for being an example that I could use in this illustration. Even though it started as a roast, it turned out to be a blessing to all the people. So I love you, man. Let's give it up for Derek. <laughs> Commitment shows up. It shows up even when you don't like the person. It shows up. Commitment builds value. It builds value because it shows up. Look at Peter after Jesus died. Look at Peter. You know who was standing on the day of Pentecost? Who was standing, answering all the people when they said, what shall we do? Guess who it was? It was Peter. God knew what Peter would do. And even though all the fumbles he made, God kept investing in him because he knew the mission of Peter's life. And Peter went on to be one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament. We all know that. Peter was committed. Even through his ignorance, he was committed. He was valued by Jesus, and he valued Christ also. Commitment is two-way. Your feelings will waver, but commitment doesn't. Commitment doesn't waver. It's like signing a contract. My commitment to you is to you. When I hate you, I'll be there. When I love you, I'll be there. When you annoy out of me, I'll be there. I don't know what y'all thinking. I'll be there no matter what. I'll be there. A little Jackson 5, Mariah Carey remix. I'll be there whenever you call me. I'll be there. Look over your shoulder, baby. It's really preaching because it's commitment. Value causes a price to be paid. Those who trust you will be committed to you, and those you trust, you will commit to them. Jesus committed to you before you even were born. Jesus committed to you hanging on the cross before you were even a thought in your parents' mind. The plan was since the beginning for you. That's how long, that's a long commitment. That is a long, that is a long marriage because it's forever. Even when the earth fades, God's commitment to you doesn't. That's the difference. It's not till death do us part. It's for eternity. Jesus says, my commitment to you is for eternity. And so if you know my commitment as a church, you know what you should do for those who walk in the door seeking me.
You're going to shine my light. And you're going to put value in those people because I put value in you. And then those people that don't know what value feels like, they're going to be lifted up. They're going to be empowered because you want to see others do good when it's genuine. You want to lift people up. And they're going to turn around and start preaching it to somebody else. Amen? That's what we want. We're building seeds. It starts with one seed. Jesus was the one seed that turned the world upside down. We want to give you one seed when you leave here and take it and multiply it. Jacob was the seed who became Israel, and it turned into the 12 tribes, and it turned into millions of seeds. It can happen today, people, and it is. Nobody believes it anymore. Nobody believes it anymore. But it takes one foolish person to believe it. And if I believe it enough and you believe me, God will give you the increase. And you'll start believing it. And you'll start believing it. And you'll start planting too. And all of a sudden, you'll see seeds growing. We started with nine people. And they all were Gwaltneys plus a Cameron. It was the Gwaltney Cameron show. <laughs> Cameron, he's so, he's so serious all the time. When he's really excited, he'll just go. I love you, dude. I'm just messing with you. Anyway. Jesus committed to his church so that the whole church could commit to others as Jesus committed to you. Your net worth, just so you know, to Jesus, it's priceless. It's priceless. You can't put a number on his value over your life. You can't put a number. When you say, I'm not good enough to come to church, that hurts God to hear that garbage. I'm sorry, but that is the devil's lie. That is garbage. Jesus loves you, and when you feed yourself those lies, that's what the enemy wants. But that is not the truth. God loves you. No matter what you've done, it will never tarnish his love for you. If y'all can stand with me as we wrap up this morning on value. Jesus' net worth is priceless for you. It's priceless. His value for you doesn't have a price. It doesn't have an expiration. If you want to feel your stock go up, dump it in somebody else. You want to feel your stock go up, dump it in somebody else. You want to, you want to receive the blessings? Pour it into somebody else. Give away that which you've been given, and God will overflow your life into so much you can't contain it. It's just pouring out of you all the time. He's got to fill it up. you got to get the junk out. And if you want to be full, you got to get the junk out and give it to somebody else. Give, God, give somebody else the good things, and God will give you more. We're going to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in your mighty name, the only name given among men that we should be saved, that your name itself says that Jehovah will come and save his people from their sins. Jesus is the only name that can redeem my sins. And God, we are going to give value to you, and we are going to invest your good word into somebody else this week. We are going to see something different in this place. We're going to keep seeing growth in this place. We're going to multiply your house and saturate the community and saturate people's hearts with so much good seed. They have no other, do, other thing to do besides say something good that you have done for them. 
They can't dog us because they got nothing. We got nothing to hide. They can't say anything bad about us because we've got nothing to hide but give them the truth. Because the light should not be put under a bushel. It's the shine on a candlestick. So God, help us remember the mission this week. Help us remember to value our spouses, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, any type of relationship this week. Remember, it's about unconditional value for them. What can I do to make their life better? Because when I do it, I will be blessed. And if the house of God can say, in Jesus' name, amen.